Welcome to the Human CEO Book Club, where we dive deep into the pages of remarkable books that empower and shape leaders around the world. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today we've got a great episode lined up for you. In this episode, we're thrilled to feature a captivating and insightful book that's been making waves in the hiring and culture realm. We're talking about Staff Matters by Bonilla Craman. As leaders, we understand the immense impact our team members have on the success of our organisations, yet creating a supportive, inclusive and high-performing work environment can be a complex and ever-evolving challenge. Thankfully, Bonnie's book, Staff Matters, provides invaluable guidance and strategies for navigating the intricate world of staffing with expertise and compassion. Bonnie's a renowned leader, author and advocate for workplace excellence. She brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. Having spent decades as a trusted assistant to Oscar-winning actress Olympia Dukakis, she's honed her skills in creating exceptional teams and fostering professional growth. Throughout the pages of the book, Bonnie shares her own experiences, anecdotes and practical advice, ensuring that leaders at all levels can benefit from her wisdom. From hiring and training to addressing conflicts and fostering a sense of belonging, Staff Matters offers a comprehensive roadmap for transforming your team into a powerful force that drives your organisation forward. So without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with Bonnie about her remarkable book, Staff Matters. Thank you for joining us, Bonnie. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's, it's at long last. I've been so looking forward to this conversation. It's been a long time coming. and I really enjoyed the original conversation, so I'm looking forward to this as well. So today we're here to talk about your book, which was launched recently. It's doing really well. It's called um, Staff Matters, and it's the people-focused solutions for the ultimate new workplace. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what the catalyst was for writing this book, a little bit about what's in there? Yeah, Amy, you know, I have a lot of leadership and management books in my collection. And frankly, most of them are written by men, male leaders. And as I read them, I was aware that there was a lot that was not being said in these books and in large part, really going deeply into the experience of women and women of diversity in in these books. So that Mm -hmm. in part... That's what I wanted to do in Staff Matters. In addition, those books are mostly about leaders. And I wanted to build a book that had all the constituencies of a workplace inside the same book. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I interviewed over 1,500 people for this book yeah. over seven years. So it was definitely a, a long-term project. But I, I interviewed executive assistants all over the world and HR professionals, and recruiters, and business school professors, who I saw all having, they were playing a role in building this new thing that Mm -hmm. that we're creating in this post-pandemic world. And there's not a person I've I've talked to who doesn't believe that aspects of our workplace are broken Mm -hmm. right now. And what I also know is that no one of those groups that I named can fix what's broken alone. So therefore, I decided, well, let's put everybody inside this now 400-page book and tell their stories. So, you know, I got to ask HR professionals, you know, what is it that most people don't understand about your role? What is it that you wish they knew? Mm -hmm. What is the toughest part of your job and to have them tell stories about their own experience in, you know, during, after the pandemic, Mm -hmm. the book came out in February of 2023. So I had an opportunity over these last three years 
especially to bring the material up to the up to the minute up mm-hmm. to right now what's going on in these remote hybrid virtual workplaces where's the mental health issue um where they were they raising where is it raising its head mm-hmm. uh, and it's coming out i think we've only begun to see the tip of the iceberg on that one so yeah. you know we've got a lot to do and my goal was to create a book that would be a catalyst for the conversations that need to happen inside workplaces amy yeah. uh, st- and staff are reading it and bringing this this book to their leaders and to hr as a vehicle for those conversations mm-hmm. that need to happen. Yeah, I can see when I was reading that, I was sort of thinking, this is fantastic. It's brilliant for the leaders within organizations, but there's so much insight and 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 the questions that are in there are really powerful for individuals that are working within those organizations. Mm-hmm. So the thing that, that really stood out to me was that I love the way that it's punctuated with questions. And some of those questions are really powerful for leaders and, like I say, for individuals and for leaders. That was that was really great. You get to the end of a chapter and you sort of think it almost helps you embed what you've learned within that, mm-hmm. within that chapter so that you can – it's not one of those, but you can see behind me, I've read lots of leadership books. How many of them have landed? How many of them have I taken something and implemented from? It's not 100%. It's not 2%, but it's not 100%. And I think those questions will be really powerful as people are reading through to embed what they've learned in those in those chapters. Well, thank you for writing it. Yeah, thank you for that feedback. Um, you know, at the end of every chapter, that that was like my natural instinct was to create, it's only the three or four questions that I mm-hmm. created at the end of each chapter, but they were, those are the questions I get in workshops. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I decided, well, let's give, give that a go and let's see if every chapter it's natural to do that and as it turned out it was so. yeah and it's it's when I'm working with HR professionals as well so often I work with them from both sides of the fence so they're either clients of ours and they're looking to bring new recruits in or they're individuals that are looking for their next step and more often than not the thing that they are they have in common at both stages they're just time poor and they don't get a lot of time to, to take a step back and reflect and yeah. so I think having absorbed what's in the chapter taking that step back and just having to think about those three questions, even if you don't sit and answer them immediately, they really do get you thinking about what was in that chapter. And I think that, mm-hmm. like I say, I've been, told that, I've been told that by a number of people. So that's yes. valuable feedback as a writer that thank you. Yeah. It'd be helpful for the, for the, for the readers. Yeah. And in, in terms of, so I love that you wrote and you've, you've been able to get it right up to the minute, because I think if it was just purely written, wrote pre-pandemic it'd be a completely different book I've been saying for years now that HR is going through a paradigm shift and it's gone from personnel to what we in the UK occasionally termed HRT and sympathy where it was just a place to go and if you've got a problem you went to HR that was how it was seen as personnel and then it transformed thankfully transformed to be much more strategic and move from having a seat at the table to now having a voice at the table and organisations like Tesco Island promoting their chief people officer into the CEO. People are really seeing the value of the HR professionals and the value of just treating individuals like humans, pardon the pun. But it wasn't always the way, was it? No, no, most definitely not. And I think what the pandemic did was it it shone a very bright light on HR mm-hmm. And those 
uh, departments that were already in chaos pre-pandemic, well, it really should, uh, you know, put a glaring spotlight on the dysfunction in organizations. Yeah. And right now, many organizations in the United States HR departments are in chaos. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I spoke in an HR conference in Orlando in April, and one of the, uh, my subject was about leveraging the administrative staff for HR. Okay. Mm -hmm. That, that um, if in fact, we, you know, we only get 24 hours in a day and there's only so much you can accomplish in one day, they're absolutely needing help and support. And my message to HR people all over the world is sometimes you don't have to look any further than the people who are already on the payroll who are the administrative staff. Some yeah. of those men and women have just formidable uh, talents and skills. Like they could be genuinely useful and put to, they can be utilized very well in onboarding mm -hmm. and the interview process, they're, they've got very high EQ, so they're excellent mm -hmm. at that. Um, they're terrific, you know, tech, computer technical trainers. Some mm -hmm. of them are real techies. Um, you know, companies, HR needs help with building disaster plans, better ones for the next time. Yeah. And how about cybersecurity? Like, that is just a huge issue that's keeping leaders up at night. Mm -hmm. So I think HR... Uh, leaders need to slow it down long enough to take a harder, more focused look on the people who they're already employed in their companies as the potential solution to this, to talent acquisition and to filling those gaps, those places yeah. that are seriously broken that they don't have time to deal with. Absolutely. And I, I suppose the challenge is that HR the whole time is just expanding and expanding and expanding. So I say this all the time in the, in the pandemic, everybody's head whipped around to HR. What are we going to do about the people? How do we get them out of the office? How do we get them working from home? Yeah. Everything landed at HR's feet. Whereas previously in a recession or a financial, like the GFC, everybody's head whipped around to finance. How are we going to manage the budgets? What are we going to do about this? This time it was all about the people. Yes. And as a result of that, the HR teams of, or the HR discipline has grown to include mental health and it was PPE at the time and they were looking at health and safety and it's just grown and grown and grown and grown. And so I think the, the interesting thing that I think has come out of the pandemic, there's so many things that have come out of the pandemic that are really interesting, but we're seeing more of a another shift again from personnel to HR to now people experience. So we're seeing in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but we're mm -hmm. seeing people experience directors rather than um, HR directors or personnel directors or so it is all about people being all encompassing yes. HR is no longer a department it's it's in and of itself well and then it, in addition to that um, yes that is absolutely happening in the United States that there there's the name change to HR mm -hmm. there's also an we're seeing an addition to still another person as part of the leadership team and that is the person called director of administration or chief okay. of staff okay it is somebody because the 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 hybrid and remote workforce feels to these the humans it's very fragmented and fractured you know that there's there's a real uh feel people are feeling the remote 
in remote work. Mm -hmm. They're feeling very disconnected from other people. And so therefore there's a need growing for somebody to be managing and wrangling that group of people. And that's in many companies, they are either promoting from within or bringing in a chief of staff type person to be in charge of the, of, of handling that, those administrative aspects of the workforce. Interesting. I, I, I don't know if you're seeing that in the UK. I've just not quite made it across the pond yet. If, forgive my ignorance if it has, and I'm speaking out of turn there, but I've not but, but noticed idea. that it is. It's a great what, idea. What do you think of it? It's a great idea. So just so that I understand it correctly, so that person, that's not a chief people officer, that's in addition to a chief people officer. That is in addition to a chief people officer. This would be the person organizing, uh, you know, group meetings, team okay team meetings, essentially being a team leader mm-hmm. so that, you know, on the day to day that it could be organizing a mentorship program, um, making sure that the sharing of information is going well between, you know, groups of administrative staff, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, chief people experience officer is more high level. Yes. And this is definitely more granular. Okay. Interesting. But, but so necessary. Yeah, 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 especially with the remote working. And that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask in terms of the shift that you saw with the mm-hmm. um, people that you interviewed for the book. What kind of changes are they seeing? What, what are the biggest challenges that they're up against post-pandemic? Well, the, you know, what's funny, Amy, is that at, in those first weeks and months of the pandemic, my and I still feel like this, the group of people that was among the most prepared and equipped to handle the pandemic was the administrative staff. The assistance of the world, it's it's about the way they think because mm-hmm. you know, having been an assistant for 25 years myself, we think not only in plan A, but plan B, plan C, and sometimes plan D. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm scheduling my executive's travel. Well, what if it gets canceled? What if it's delayed? Is, you know, what's the domino effect of that? And so every assistant relates to this, that that no one predicted that they'd be out two months, never mind two years, you know, like yeah. they were all predicting how, how long we'd be out. What I could tell you now that we're three years from it, the the companies that had staff that was that became the most stable were the ones who had leaders who saw the value in what I refer to as the three V's. The three V's, they showed up, meaning they were visible. Mm-hmm. They were visible. They were verbal. They were vocal. They were. Mm-hmm. They showed up and they talked about what they knew and what they didn't know. They would do town halls yeah. and, and say, well, you know, here we are. We're all still standing and this is what we think we're going to do. We're going to go back and yeah. were we not going to go back? And then the third one is to be vulnerable. That uh-huh. what the staff wanted was to see their leaders, to hear from their leaders, and to be told the truth. Mm-hmm. And therefore, for leaders to say, you know, I, I, the, the, I, you know, my own family member has gotten COVID, and and um, this has really shaken me up. You mm-hmm. know, the leaders who who were secure enough to be vulnerable about their own feelings and their own sensitivity about what was going on, because we've all been through a lot in these three years. Those were the organizations that were the most stable 
the, the, the organizations that were in trouble from the whole, all of a sudden you're, you know, in five minutes, you're running a home office was the uncertainty, Amy, that the, the, the imagination goes crazy. Like, oh, are we going to get laid off? Or, you know, do we have to take a pay cut to, yeah. you know, the, the staff of the world, it really gets down to basics. They're trying to put food on the table for their children. And so many leaders, you know, we talked offline about this. The average age that a leader gets their first training in managing people is not until age 46. So the, the reality is that no leader, no matter how good they were and are, were prepared for what happened in March mm-hmm. of 2020. Nobody was prepared. This was unprecedented. And so therefore, the the ones who understood that their people needed to come first. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're very fond of saying how our people are the backbone of the company and the right arms to managers and they're, yeah. the, they're the face of the culture and they're the eyes and the ears. I mean, how many body parts can you name, right? <laughs> and yet, and yet, through these last three years, leaders have shown what they're made of by the ones who took care of their people mm-hmm. versus the ones who looked the other way and tolerated toxic work environments, for example. I mean, that's the real telling factor. And honestly, you don't have to look much further than the retention rates. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all heard of the great resignation. Well, I'm here to tell you, in my experience, people do not leave places where they feel respected and valued. No. They, they're looking for the exit when they feel that they don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the unfulfilled or the values aren't aligned or I absolutely agree. And that's yeah. why your book's important. It's important Thank on you. a number of levels because the leaders need to read it, HR need to read it and the, the individuals themselves. I think there's yeah. messages in there for them. Right. And and so if there was advice that you were to give to HR, because often, not often, mm. sometimes I think HR they want to impact things, but there are other strategic objectives and maybe it's not as tangible. So if there's turnover in the business and it's not a massive issue, but it's an issue, maybe it doesn't get fixed immediately. But if there was advice for the HR leaders that were listening to this or the CEOs that were listening, what advice would you offer to them in terms of first steps? How do you assess where you are and what needs to be done? Well, chapter four of my book is called Ask First. And that comes from a complaint that comes globally mm-hmm. from the staff who tells me, Amy, that this big decisions, big and small decisions are being made about them mm-hmm. and they're at, and without any input from them. Mm-hmm. And that feels disrespectful and rude and, and really ill-advised. Yeah. So my advice for... HR and leaders who have looked at me straight in the face and said, you know, Bonnie, if nobody's complaining, I think there is no problem. If I don't get told there's a problem, I think there is none. And on one level that that you can accept that. But on the other hand, I hope HR and leaders will hear me when I say that there's a great deal of fear in the workplace. People, staff say straight to me, Bonnie, I have a front row seat for everything that happens at that company. I see and hear everything, but Mm -hmm. I do not feel safe to say what I see 
I see the problems. I even see the solutions. Mm -hmm. I get told nobody's interested in your opinion. I get, I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to speak up. I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. I'm afraid to speak up because I'm afraid I'm going to be labeled a troublemaker. I'm afraid to speak up because I'm afraid they're not going to like me anymore. And I'm not going to be, you know, let into meetings. The fear is real. Mm -hmm. But he's listening to me. Trust me when I tell you that we have a workforce globally, many of whom are fearful of saying the truth to leaders and to HR. And the way to diffuse that fear is to do everything you can to make it safe for your staff to tell you the truth. And that's asking first, putting together a group of people, maybe do one-on-ones, but a group of people who, who, if they tell you the truth, they don't have to worry about backlash, repercussions, and you know, like a lot of HR send out surveys and polls mm-hmm. and staff tells me, Bonnie, and they're supposed to be anonymous. Staff will tell me, Bonnie, I'm not, I'm not answering that stuff, honestly. Mm-hmm. They can find out who I am and then, then they're going to hold that against me. And you know who's especially keen about this and onto it are, are women of color. That is a that is a group certainly in the United States that that there's a great deal of racism and discrimination that's going on, and that may um, be a hard thing for some people to hear, but that is one hundred percent true. And how how do leaders, if they're listening to this and they want to create that psychological safety, because that has to change. That that has to change. I think sometimes it's the leader's vulnerability, their willingness to be vulnerable and ask those questions. And look like they don't know what the answer is. Oh, that's what they're asking. It's it's incredible. Like during the pandemic, the it doesn't take much for the word to go around. Uh, because trust me, if if uh, if compensation is not fair in a company, like leaders think that staff doesn't know what other people make, they're wrong. Like yeah. the word goes around, people understand who's having affairs with who, who, where are the unfair rules, who's mm-hmm. getting paid way more than somebody else and they don't deserve it. All of that is happening, what I call on the back channel. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very real. So the way to diffuse that early in the pandemic, in one company, several companies that I know about, in one particular one, the CEO asked his assistant to give him a list of staffers, just just staffers, just every day, 10 of them. He picked up the phone and he just called them at home. And he said, hey, this is Joe Smith, the CEO. How are you doing? How's the family? Do you need anything? Do you, like, he's the same guy who gave out $500 gift cards with no strings attached to say, you're at home. Do you need a new monitor? You need a new light? You want to take your family out to dinner? I don't care what you do with that $500. I want to try to make your life a little easier Mm -hmm. during this very stressful, anxious time. Do you know how fast the word goes around in a company? Like, hey, did you get a call from the CEO? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying my suggestion to HR is exactly the same. Call, talk to them. You know who your influencers are in a company. Mm -hmm. Trust me, you get them one-on-one and say, you know, I'm hearing some things. I really, I really value your opinion. I would really, you've been here a long time. You hold mm-hmm. a lot of institutional knowledge. Talk to me. We want, we want to do this better. 
we want to start fixing what's broken, but the Mm -hmm. only way we fix what's broken is if we really shine a bright light on what's truly happening. Mm -hmm. Would you do me a kindness and tell me the truth? And, and you do that enough times with, with key people, Mm -hmm. trust me. I mean, do you believe, you know, Amy, how quickly the word would go around. Yeah, yeah. Leadership is doing that. I think what I, what I wanted to ask was in terms of the fear, where, when you interviewed these individuals that said that they were fearful yeah. from, for whatever reason, where did that fear come from? Was that lived experience that they'd spoken up before or was that, it was just something they felt? Well, some. You know, a lot of the fear, if you're a single mom or a single dad and your whole livelihood is dependent on that paycheck, Mm -hmm. you watch very closely about the dynamics in a company. You see the unfair, sometimes you see gender inequity, you know, how, you know, men get promoted faster than women do. Mm -hmm. And a person like that would be reluctant to speak up in fear of either real or imaginary backlash about that, because you do not want to put your paycheck in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And those staff who are being paid just under market value or seriously under market value, if it's a paycheck to paycheck situation, you got to know that people are not going to make, are not going to be quick to make waves Um, Mm -hmm. if it's that tenuous a situation and the economy globally, I know Mm -hmm. in the UK, but in the United States, people don't have a big cushion Mm -hmm. is the reality. And, you know, the whole move to pay people hourly versus salary, um, the fear is coming from just watching what's going on in the company and, and somehow getting the message that, they better watch their step. It's not safe. That they yeah. better, they better be careful about what they say and to whom they say it. Mm-hmm. And so you use the example of the CEO that gave the gift cards and and made the telephone calls. What else can leaders be doing, or what else can HR be doing to instill that security or safety so that people okay. are willing to So if we're agreeing that a restructure is needed in HR and I see it in the administrative staff. One thing to do, I mean, there are a bunch of things. I'll give you a laundry list. One thing for sure to do, because 2021 was referred to as the year of the job description because everybody's job description was in flux. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that globally, staff complains that the job description that they're sitting with right now is obsolete overly generic and not responsive to what people are actually doing now in 2023. Mm -hmm. So what can CEOs and leaders do? They could make sure that job descriptions are up to date. And I, and HR has said to me, Bonnie, I don't have time to revamp job descriptions. And my message back is have the staff themselves do their own job descriptions. Because they know. Nobody knows better than them what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's important because Many staff are walking around saying, nobody understands what I do. And in part, they don't understand what they do because everybody's sitting with a with a, an obsolete job description. Mm-hmm. Another thing, take a new look at the website, at the company website. Mm-hmm. Look at the language on the careers tab, on the way that the company is painting a picture of what it means to work at a company. For mm-hmm. example, 
I had a black uh, male a student of mine who said, Bonnie, I look at companies that I'm thinking of working for, but if I don't see anybody who looks like me on the website, I'm not applying. The message I get is I'm not welcome there. So I urge leaders in HR to take a fresh look at the website, take a fresh look at the uh, collateral materials, the resources, the the just the paperwork that you're mm-hmm. putting out about the company that talk speaks about the culture and what does it mean to be working for XYZ company. Uh, you can pay people more fairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many companies still have a wage gap and um Money is not everything, mm-hmm. but it is. It goes a long way if if people feel that they are being paid more than fair, even generously. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who go above and beyond every single day. I know I'm generalizing. Are there people who take advantage? Absolutely, mm-hmm. but I but I really love what Campbell Soup does out of Camden, New Jersey. Everybody, if a new hire comes in, they get their job description, they have a conversation, several conversations. And when it comes down to hiring them, they sign their job description. Manager signs the job description. Like essentially, candidate is saying, Yes, I am agreeing to do that to the best Mm -hmm. of my ability. And then, Amy, every year that job description comes out, they update it, They, they have a conversation. Now, sign it again. Mm -hmm. And that applies whether the person's been there two years or 20 years. I love that. I happen to love that idea. Yeah, it'd be a great conversation to have as well, wouldn't it? From my from my perspective, I like that kind of thing. (laughs) Not everybody's as into it as I would be, but I think it's a great idea. Um, the recognition the as well, though. Sorry, Bonnie. To, yeah. But recognition of actually what you contribute to this organization. We see that you contribute X, Y, Z. It's not you came in in this role and now you're way over here and your skills have gone like this. It's recognition of the contribution. I love that. Right. But how is that going to happen unless somebody is paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, where somebody is at in year five versus year eight? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's about accountability. Yeah. It's about the setting of clear expectations. And my goodness, that is an area that um, I see is broken as well, is mm-hmm. where are the clear expectations? I don't know about you, but it always gets me when, you know, um, a baby boomer will say, oh, those millennials, those Gen Zers, they all expect they're going to be a millionaire in a week and they're yeah. going to be running the company and my response back is, huh, who set those expectations? Where did those expectations come from? Or who was, a, who was asleep at the wheel who, who didn't make it clear what a career path looks like at the company? I most definitely do not blame the millennials or the Gen Zers. Uh, you know, is that unrealistic? Sure. But I think the leaders have a responsibility to be much clearer about what what they're going to find in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I love the question that's in the, I can't remember which chapter it's off the back of, but the um, whose shoes have you stood in recently? I love that question. And we always say to people, you know, stand in your own cues from a recruitment perspective, yeah. experience the candidate journey. And I think that that way you, you're, you're sort of putting it back at leaders. 
whose expectations, who set those expectations. It's about building empathy and empathy and acceptance is one of the key tenets uh-huh. I think that is required at the minute. A hundred percent. I mean, I, no one of us, not you, Amy, not me, none of us gets here alone. No. You know, we never got, we're not at our current moment alone. And so I'm, I'm fond of the whole image of like, we're stand, whose shoulders are you standing on? Mm-hmm. You know, who got you here? And I'm also, I love the concept of, of standing in somebody else's shoes. Yeah. And one of the fastest way I know to gain empathy and stand in somebody else's shoes is to have a cup of coffee or a virtual lunch with somebody who doesn't look like you or who yeah. doesn't sound like you. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, you know, I, I look at any staff, doesn't matter where they are. They were hired for a reason. <laughs> somebody at some point looked at their resume or CV and said, we want you. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that the rest of us don't necessarily know what that thing is. So they, there's a lot of judging going on in mm-hmm. the workplace. And my message to my students, my audiences is we need to give the judgments a big rest. Uh, yeah. In life and in work. <laughs> it does not work. And yeah. that we need to take a fresh look at the people around us and who is it that we're working with and take the time to have a cup of coffee. And I will bet you a British pound that, um, that you'll be surprised by what you learn. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, speaking of surprises, the question I really wanted to ask you was what surprised you the most whilst you're writing the book or researching the book? Mm, it, it was a, both a surprise and a validation, Amy. The commonality between staff all over the world was comforting and, um, you know, a realization that I'm so happy to, to sit in because, honestly, I, I think that is that def- um, zeroes in on what makes Staff Matters different from other books is the 100% certainty that the picture I'm painting is accurate, as accurate in New York City mm-hmm. as it is in London, England, as it is in Dublin, Ireland. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. the, the experience of assistants, of leaders, of HR, you know, the same things are keeping us up at night. Mm-hmm. want to make a living. You know, I in 2022, I did a TEDx talk and that also informed the book and it was based on the conversations in the book. And I identified the top four things that staff wants. And this is globally, doesn't matter, Middle East, South Africa, does not matter. It is respect as number one. Mm-hmm. Nothing more important than feeling respected. Number two is feeling that you belong, that you're a valued participant in whatever role, whatever seat you have. Third is fair compensation. And fourth is support to keep learning and growing essentially having, you know, professional development opportunities. Those are the top four things that staff want everywhere. Yeah. And, and if, if there are issues in a company, the question I immediately go to is who isn't feeling respected? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ask, you identify that and yeah. that will help you understand the root of your problem. Yeah. 
globally, you're right. There's obviously this cultural nuance, but we're people are people are people. Yes. Yeah. Similar needs the world over. I found it fascinating. I think it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant read. So thank you for, thank for putting you. that together. And the thing that the thing that I've taken from one of the things that I've taken from it because there are so many, but the towards the end it said enjoy was it enjoy the mess. That was thinking about the pandemic, thinking about the out the aftermath of the pandemic, thinking about work in general. Enjoy the mess, and you you know you yeah, wrong, can you? Yeah, the mess isn't going to go away. So we better, you know, those of us who are parents, I suspect people listening are some, most are parents. And you know, when your kid, you know, makes a mess and they're just like enjoying the chocolate cake and it's all over the place and it's all over the floor and it's all over their clothes and you kind of don't care Mm -hmm. because they're having that smile on their face is worth it. You know, we're just going to kind of have to be like that. We're going to have to tolerate it. And and to to some degree enjoy it, and we're going to enjoy yeah. the ride. It's about the process. We're built. We're all, right or wrong. Like none of us had a choice about being here in 2023. But so right or wrong, we are, and wanted or not, we are mm-hmm. involved in building something new and different. And for honestly, Amy, I I know you feel the way I do. The status quo is not serving us. Yeah. So, you know, because what's our choice is to do nothing and to kind of let this dysfunction continue. Mm -hmm. For me, that's not a choice. The status quo is broken Mm -hmm. and it's fixing and it's going to be messy. But, you know, what I say to my students is if not now, when? When? What are we waiting for? If not now, when? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, it's the opportunity. This is the opportunity for the paradigm shift, isn't it? This is, and we're going in the right direction, but I think there are still a few more swings of the pendulum before we get there. Yeah, well, I think podcasts like this one, frankly, that's why I'm doing as many as I can. I think it is helping. I, yeah. I truly think that for for people who have access to these kind of conversations are, are really getting people moving. And I think social media is a game changer. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the way to reach this many people in this fast a yeah. time. So I'm hopeful. I'm very optimistic about the future because, you know, social media is fraught with some landmines, but I think mm-hmm. the pros outweigh the cons yeah. and podcasts like yours. So thank you for doing the work you're doing. I think you're, you're really uh, offering a great service to the, to CEOs and leaders and every staffer in the workplace, Amy. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for writing the book as well. It's really, really, really valuable. But Bonnie, before you go, can you just give us a little overview of your career and how, why this interests you so much and where this Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, Amy, nothing about my, my journey has been planned, which is kind of funny when I think back and, you know, being in my sixties now, Um, I was a theater major in college. I had a dream of being an actress Mm -hmm. and that went out, that went out the window in very short order after I graduated college, but I just knew I needed to be in show business. I needed to be in that environment. I loved show business people. I loved the eccentricity. I loved the oddness because I, I also feel a little odd. So when you're, when you feel like an alien, you want to hang out with other aliens. Okay. Um, and 
And I just felt very at home. I was probably one of the more normal, quote unquote, normal ones in a theater environment. But I ended up you know, working in theater box offices and somehow through a person, um, a mutual friend, I, I met Olympia Dukakis, Olympia Dukakis, who won an Oscar mm-hmm. for Moonstruck. She was a wonderful theater and film actress. But more than that, she was an incredible manager of people and and then a wonderful human being. Mm-hmm. And we ended up working with each other for 25 years. I was her personal and executive assistant in a million years when I first started at the theater that she was running in Northern New Jersey. I never thought that we would be working with each other for 25 years. Mm-hmm. In no way. No way. I needed a job and she needed somebody to write press releases and manage her life to some degree. And, um, you know, so and then many years into the work, I started getting asked by other assistants for advice. And I began getting asked to to do a little speaking about how to do this work really well. And I found that I really enjoyed talking about it. Assistants mm-hmm. felt like I had the answer for them that was, you know, meaningful. And I'm a writer. I'm a writer at heart. I was an English and theater major at college. Mm-hmm. So, so that led to writing book number one, Be the Ultimate Assistant, certainly led to writing book number two, Staff Matters, which is mm-hmm. what we've been talking about today. And in a million years, I never thought that talking about being a great assistant would take me to 13 countries and 38 states, and I know that because I've counted them at this point, I never thought it would lead me to do a TEDx talk or write for Harvard Business Review, but all of that happened. And, um, and now I have a perspective on the workplace that, that I believe is resonating with leaders and HR and podcasters like yourself mm-hmm. and, and your, um, you know, the, the material that I included in this book, you know, there's a chapter called sex about gender issues in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. what I try to write about, you know, with the issues of bullying and sexual harassment and the wage gap was to talk, to shine that bright light on the issues that are slowing too many people down and stopping them dead in their tracks. And you know how I know that? Because I experienced them myself, Mm -hmm. all of them, all of them. That's why I care as much as I do about these issues. And I don't want my grandkids to experience some of the things that, mm-hmm. you know, I did an event last week where when I spoke about bullying, the young woman, 29 years old, burst into hysterical tears and revealed that that's happening to her right now. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you, you cannot make that up. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make it up the the force of what these toxic behaviors are doing to people. And, you know, that's not, it's never been okay with me when I experienced it. And it's certainly not okay with me as I hear current staffers talk about what's going on. And I see it as one of my goals to do everything I can to enlighten and Mm -hmm. bring awareness so that if HR folks and CEOs who are listening to this podcast decide they can decide, well, tomorrow's a new day Mm -hmm. and something different can happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm very hopeful about that. So that's essentially my journey. And I live in Florida 
and I run around on airplanes a lot, um, talking with as many leaders and assistants and HRs as who will listen. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that that was your experience, but I'm so pleased that you've turned it into what you turned it into because it is, it is really valuable. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Amy, for having me. Um, my website is bonnielocraman.com, my name, and I invite anyone who's compelled by these issues to check it out. There's a ton of info on there, and, and I'd love to hear from you so that we can fix what's broken together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll put all the links in the show notes as well. So anyone that wants to get in touch knows where to find you. But thank you so much for taking the time and thank you for writing the book. Oh, thank you, Amy, for having me and, and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Yeah, good to see you again. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to find out more about building a great workplace culture and to understand how effective your organizational culture is, click the link in the show notes or go to culturescore.recruithuman.co.uk.